coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field. It's the Derek Izzy Show. Welcome to the Derek Izzy Show. I am the aforementioned host, Mr. Izzy, and we have an interesting show for you today. Moses, I want to thank you for that wonderful introduction, and I want to get some input from you today. Sure, boss. What do you need? Well, I was thinking about the topic of today's podcast, and I thought about our title sponsor of today's show. It's a company called Onnit. They've got all kinds of nutritional supplements, weightlifting equipment, anything related to health and fitness and body cleansing. You can get it through Onnit. Now, if you want to go and order something today, just click on the banner on my website, DerekIzzy.com. That will get you 10% off. They care about our listeners as the title sponsor of this month's show, and they'd like to give you 10% off. But to let them know that you heard it on the Derek Izzy Show, you have to click on the banner at DerekIzzy.com. You'll see the banner right there on the website. That'll get you 10% off anything you order. I'd also like to thank all the listeners who have been bombarding on it with orders from the Derek Izzy Show. It's, it's just wonderful to see that response. And I want to give everyone a heartfelt thank you for that. Now, Moses, the reason why I'm asking you about this is they have a ton of nutritional supplements at Onnit, And I wondered if you had a chance to check any of them out yet. Well, they do have this brain thing that you're supposed to take to make you smarter or more alert. And I tried that, and I'll tell you the truth, I, I feel pretty good. I feel good today, and I don't know if it made me smarter, but I definitely do feel more alert. That's great news, Moses. I'm glad you feel more alert because we will need your brain power today. Today's show is about espionage. And I want to ask you, Moses, do you know what the definition of espionage is? Hang on. Let me get out my pocket dictionary and I'll let you know. Wait, you you carry a, a pocket dictionary? Well, yeah, of course. I never know when I might run into a word that I don't know the definition of and it helps me to understand okay moses then go ahead and enlighten the audience what is the definition of espionage according to my merriam-webster pocket dictionary it is the practice of spying or using spies to obtain information about the plans and activities especially of a foreign government or a competing company. Very good, Moses. Now, do you think we have any spies here at the Derek Izzy Show? No, boss, I seriously would doubt that. Yeah, I would doubt that too. Well, Moses, thank you for your input. As usual, you are very entertaining and enlightening. And now, the topic of today's podcast. Espionage is a serious issue around the world. Just recently in China, 
a man was sentenced to death. Huang Yu, age 41, was convicted of selling military codes between 2002 and 2011. He sold these trade secrets and was able to pocket $700,000 across that time period. As you can see, competing governments, competing companies, they pay very well for inside information when there's something that they want to develop that another country has, or they just want to know what's going on inside another country. They can figure out if a country is going to attack them, or if somebody's got plans to take over the world. Today's podcast goes into a case of espionage that occurred here in the United States. Back in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, there was a large rise in the Communist Party. While communism was not popular in the United States, it was widespread in other parts of the world, especially over in Russia. While the United States was a leader in military power, they were hard at work developing the atom bomb. The atom bomb was basically the precursor to today's nuclear weapons. It was a more primitive form of our huge, massive destruction capabilities that we have today. We weren't the only country that was after this technology. Other countries like Germany, the Soviet Union, they were hard at work trying to find their own mass destruction capabilities. Here in the United States, we were the first to develop this technology. But being the first does not always give you exclusive rights. With the Soviet Union hard at work to get their hands on atom bomb technology that the United States had developed, they sought the help of anyone they could find. And in 1950, a normal, everyday-looking Jewish couple were accused of masterminding a communist spy ring in the United States that resulted in atom bomb secrets being leaked to the Soviet Union. The leak of these secrets greatly contributed to the speed at which the Soviet Union was able to develop their own atom bombs. How does this average-looking couple get involved in a Soviet spy ring? Because remember, at the time, there was a lot of paranoia about the Communist Party and what other countries were doing. And if the Soviet Union reached the atom bomb before the United States, there was always the threat that they could blow us up. That's how powerful these weapons were. So whichever country could get their hands on it first, that was the country that was going to remain the world power. The husband of the couple, a member of the American Communist Party, grew up in a poor neighborhood, but he managed to graduate with a degree in electrical engineering. His wife was a labor organizer, and the couple had two sons together. Our husband, the engineer, had trouble keeping a job. He joined the army and was working in the engineering laboratories in New Jersey. Once his affiliation with the Communist Party was brought out, he was promptly fired. What could this couple of an army engineer and an active labor organizing wife with the Communist Party have to do with national security? When the husband of this couple was fired from the army, he had already been sharing American military secrets with the Soviet Union. At the time, it wasn't known that he was sharing secrets. It was only known that he was a member of the Communist Party. So when he was fired, they had no idea what was going on right under their noses. The wife of the couple involved some of her family members. Her brother David was directly involved. During his testimony, 
when he was in court, he lied to protect his own wife, and part of his lie helped lead to a conviction of our husband and wife team. Years later, after the conviction, he was quoted as saying, I frankly think my wife was directly involved in taking notes during the espionage meeting. During one of the meetings where our couple and their relatives were involved in planning some of their espionage activities, this was actually brought up in court and used to convict the wife of the couple. Her direct involvement seems to be largely centered around taking notes during the meetings. Her brother David testified that she had taken notes during the meetings. But years later, in 2001, he recanted. He's quoted as saying, I frankly think my wife did the typing, but I don't remember. He said he gave false testimony to protect himself and his own wife, and that he was encouraged by the prosecution to do so. He said, My wife is more important to me than my sister or my mother or my father, okay? And she was the mother of my children. He refused to express any remorse for his decision to betray his sister, saying only that he did not realize that the death penalty would be invoked. Yes, the death penalty was invoked. The punishment for the crime of espionage is death. What exactly happened? Here's what we do know. On June 16, 1950, the Criminal Division of the Justice Department was advised of David Greenglass's admissions and authorized the filing of a complaint in Albuquerque, New Mexico, charging him with espionage, conspiracy to violate Title 50 of U.S. Code Section 34. David Greenglass was the brother of the wife of our husband and wife couple. Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. A complaint charging Julius Rosenberg with espionage conspiracy was filed on July 17, 1950. Rosenberg was arrested at his home in Knickerbocker Village, New York City. That same day, he was arraigned before a district judge. Rosenberg was remanded to the custody of the U.S. Marshal. The filing of a sealed complaint against another conspirator, Morton Sobel, charged him with espionage conspiracy. Ethel Rosenberg, the wife of our couple, appeared before a federal grand jury in the Southern District of New York. A complaint charged her with espionage conspiracy. She was taken into custody that same day by FBI agents. She was arraigned before the U.S. Commissioner of the Southern District of New York and remanded into custody of the U.S. Marshal. On October 17, 1950, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg pleaded not guilty. David Greenglass pleaded guilty. Morton Sobel pleaded not guilty. A jury was selected, and this seemingly harmless Jewish couple went on trial for espionage. While to this day it may not be known all of the things that they did regarding this espionage case, but some of it did come out during the trial. David Greenglass's testimony revealed that he entered the Army in April of 1943, and in 1944 he was assigned to the Manhattan Project in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. At the time, he had no idea what the project was, but he received security lectures about his duties and was told it was a secret project. That project was to build the atom bomb. 
Two weeks later, being told that his work was secret again, he was reassigned to Los Alamos, New Mexico. His wife came to visit him in New Mexico. She told him that Julius Rosenberg advised her that the secret project that David was actually working on was the atom bomb. David stated that he did not know that he was working on such a project. He said that he worked in a group at Los Alamos under a professor of a New England university and described to the court the duties of his shop at Los Alamos. He stated that while there, he learned the identity of various noted physicists and their cover names. He testified that the Rosenbergs used to speak to him about the merits of the Russian government. He stated that when his wife came to visit him, she told him that Julius Rosenberg had invited her to dinner at the Rosenbergs' home in New York City. At this dinner, Ethel Rosenberg told Ruth that they had not been engaging in communist activities, or reading the Daily Worker anymore, or attending club meetings, because Julius finally was doing what he always wanted to do, which was giving information to the Soviet Union. After Ethel told Ruth that David was working on the atom bomb project at Los Alamos, and said that she and Julius wanted him to give information concerning the bomb, Ruth told the Rosenbergs that she did not think it was a good idea and declined their request. Ethel and Julius remarked that she should at least tell David about it and see if he would help, because he had no idea what he was working on. All he knew was that it was a secret project, and the Rosenbergs seemed to know exactly what was going on with the project. During this conversation, Julius pointed out to Ruth that Russia was an ally and deserved to obtain the information that was not being provided for its use. Now, at first, David Greenglass refused to have anything to do with what the Rosenbergs were asking about. But after further thought, he agreed to give them information. Ruth then asked him specific questions about the Manhattan Project, and David provided the information. In January of 1945, David arrived in New York City and met with Julius. He requested that David write up information, and Julius would pick it up the following day. That's exactly what happened. David gave him the information they were working on, as well as a list of scientists at Los Alamos and the names of possible recruits already working there who might be sympathetic to communism. Upon seeing this information, Ruth had remarked that David's handwriting was very bad and would need interpretation. Julius Rosenberg said it was nothing to worry about because his wife, Ethel, would retype the information. A while later, David and his wife went to the Rosenberg apartment for dinner, where they were introduced to a woman friend of the Rosenbergs. After she left, Julius told the Greenglasses that he thought this person would come to see David to receive information on the atom bomb. They discussed a tentative plan where Ruth Greenglass would move to Albuquerque, this woman would also meet Ruth in a movie theater in Denver, Colorado, to exchange purses. Ruth's purse would contain the information from David concerning Los Alamos. To identify the person who would come to see Ruth, it was agreed that Ruth would use a side piece of a jello box. Julius held the matching piece of the jello box. David suggested that the meeting be held in front of a certain grocery store in Albuquerque. The date of the meeting was left to depend upon the time that Ruth would depart for Albuquerque. 
During the visit, Julius said that he would like to have David meet a Russian with whom he could discuss the project on which David was working. A few nights later, Julius made an appointment for David to meet a Russian on 1st Avenue between 42nd and 59th Street in New York City. David drove up to the appointed meeting place and parked the car near a saloon on a dark street. Julius came up to the car, looked in, went away, and then came back with a man who got into David's car. Julius stayed on the street, and David drove away with the unknown man. The man asked David about some scientific information, and after driving around for a while, David returned to the original meeting place and let the man out. This man was then joined by Rosenberg, who was standing on the street. David observed them leaving together. In the spring of 1945, Ruth Greenglass came to Albuquerque to live. David visited her apartment on weekends, and on the first Sunday of June 1945, a man subsequently identified as Harry Gold came to visit. He asked David if his last name was Greenglass. David said it was, and then Gold said, Julius sent me. David went to his wife's wallet and took out a piece of the jello box and compared it with the piece offered by Gold. They matched up. When Gold asked David if he had any information, David said that he did, but would have to write it up. Gold then left, stating he would come back. David immediately started work on the report. He made sketches of the experiments, wrote up descriptive material regarding them, and prepared a list of possible recruits for espionage. Later that day, Gold returned, and David gave him the reports. In return, Gold gave him an envelope containing $500. During the trial, the court accepted copies of these sketches. They were used as evidence. Some of this information contained a very good description of the atom bomb. As the frequency and detail of information that was exchanged to the Soviets, the compensation grew. The next payment was $1,000. The payment after that, 6000 As Julius and Ethel got deeper and deeper into the pit of espionage, the risks became even greater. During a secret meeting, 20 top government officials met to discuss the Rosenberg case. During that meeting, it was stated that it looked like the Rosenbergs were the key to a very large ring, and if there was any way of breaking Julius by having the shadow of the death penalty over him, they needed to do it. While the case against Julius was strong, the weak case against Ethel Rosenberg was going to be an issue. Ten days before the start of the trial, David Greenglass and his wife were interviewed again. They were persuaded to change their original stories. David had said that he passed atomic data he'd collected to Julius on a New York street corner. Now, he was stating that he'd given this information to Julius in the living room of the Rosenberg's apartment and that Ethel took notes and typed them up. This was the statement that I brought up at the beginning of the podcast that he had lied about. The motivation here was to break Julius and Ethel Rosenberg by hovering the death penalty over their head with the idea that they would give up all the other spies in the ring of espionage. Whether that was a conspiracy brought on by the government, we may never know. If that was their plan, it did not work. The Rosenbergs were convicted 
on March 29, 1951. On April 5th, they were sentenced to death. Under Section 2 of the Espionage Act of 1917, 50 U.S. Code 32, which is now 18 U.S. Code 794, which prohibits transmitting or attempting to transmit to a foreign government information relating to the national defense. Judge Irving Kaufman, being appointed to the case, imposed the death penalty on both Julius and Ethel for their involvement in the espionage case. The Rosenbergs were the only two American civilians to be executed for espionage-related activity during the Cold War. In imposing the death penalty, Kaufman noted that he held the Rosenbergs responsible not only for espionage, but also for the deaths of the Korean War. He said, I consider your crime worse than murder. I believe your conduct in putting into the hands of the Russians the atomic bomb years before our best scientists predicted Russia was perfect the bomb has already caused, in my opinion, the communist aggression in Korea, with the resultant casualties exceeding 50,000, and who knows but the millions more of innocent people may pay the price for your treason. Indeed, by your betrayal, you undoubtedly have altered the course of history to the disadvantage of our country. No one can say that we do not live in a constant state of tension. We have evidence of your treachery all around us every day for the civilian defense activities throughout the nation are aimed at preparing us for an atom bomb attack. Commenting on the sentence given to them, Julius Rosenberg claimed the case was a political frame-up. He said, This death sentence is not surprising. It had to be. There had to be a Rosenberg case because there had to be an intensification of the hysteria in America to make the Korean War acceptable to the American people. There had to be hysteria and a fear sent through America in order to get increased war budgets. And there had to be a dagger thrust in the heart of the left to tell them that you are no longer going to get five years for a Smith Act prosecution or one year for contempt of court. We're going to kill you. The fact that two American civilians were executed for a crime of treason, you can imagine the conspiracy theorists that came out after this. Now, over 50 years later, Morton Sobel, one of the original men on trial, during an interview recently at 91 years old, after maintaining his innocence, remember he pled not guilty, after maintaining his innocence for over 50 years, he finally admitted that he was a spy and involved in espionage for the Soviet Union. During Sobel's confession, not only did he admit that he was a spy, but he also confirmed that Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were spies themselves and that they had both contributed greatly in getting secrets of the atomic bomb filtered over to the Soviet Union. On the date of their execution, eyewitnesses report that after the first electric shock from the electric chair, Julius Rosenberg died. Ethel Rosenberg did not. After the normal course of three electric shocks, attendants removed the strapping and other equipment 
only to have doctors determine that Ethel still had not died. Her heart continued to beat. Two more electric shocks were applied, and at the conclusion, eyewitnesses reported that smoke rose from her head in the chamber. Ethel and Julius Rosenberg were buried at Wellwood Cemetery, a Jewish cemetery in Pine Lawn, New York. Funeral services were held in Brooklyn on June 21st. It was reported that 500 people attended, while some 10,000 stood outside. In his posthumously published memoirs, Nikita Khrushchev, leader of the Soviet Union from 1953 to 1964, said that he cannot specifically say what kind of help the Rosenbergs provided, but that he learned from Joseph Stalin that they had provided very significant help in accelerating the production of the atom bomb. From a mild-mannered Jewish couple, civilians nonetheless, to convicted and executed spies for the Soviet Union, now you know the rest of the story. This has been The Derek Izzy Show. Thank you for listening. Just want to give you one more reminder. Go to DerekIzzy.com. Click on the Onnit banner. Get yourself some nutritional supplements from Onnit. We've had a great performance from our listening audience so far. I want to thank everybody for listening. And thank you for supporting Onnit because Onnit supports the show when we all work together as a team in this one. If you're on the website, take a look at BetDSI. Of course, the Onnit banner is on the website, but there's also a banner for BetDSI. If you like to bet on sports, you can go to BetDSI, set up an account, and they will give you matching funds on your initial deposit just because you click the link found on the Derek Izzy Show to set up your account. Tune in next month. Good day. Mm-hmm.